Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Yarcy F., Cindy W., Andy J., Luke A., and Ryan S. Back on the program today is Mr. Paul Gorenson. Paul is the Chief Executive Officer at Encore Energy. Encore is a United States-focused in-situ recovery uranium project developer, soon to be in production. The company has a number of projects underpinned by the Rosita Processing Facility with satellite projects nearby, the Alta Mesa Processing Facility and surrounding deposits, all in South Texas. The pipeline of the company also includes final permitting stage project Dewey Burdock in South Dakota, the Gas Hills PFS stage uranium project in Wyoming, as well as Crown Point Hostabute Butte project in New Mexico. The company also has an additional processing facility in South Texas at Kingsville Dome. Encore has a number of non-core various stage ISR and conventional projects in its portfolio as well. The company is a uranium portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. Encore Energy is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol EU, as well as on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EU. Paul, thanks for coming back on the program. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me back. I appreciate the opportunity to catch up again. Absolutely, Paul. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you're one of my favorite guests. Uh, it's great to have you back. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for continuing to deliver on the company's strategy with the recent closing of the Alta Mesa transaction. This team, you, Bill, and the rest of the Encore team are really one of the few that have been consistently delivering on not just M&A for the sake of it, but real meaningful M&A that leads to sustainable businesses which leads me to ask you, Paul, give me your comments on that, but give us a flavor for the first activities that will be taking place at Alta Mesa. First of all, I just want to say that I appreciate the, the, uh, the comments and uh, we are focused on being in production. So all of our M&A transactions have been focused on what will keep us, get us into production, sustain our production and have a long-term production profile. So you captured it pretty well in your comments. Respect to Alta Mesa, the first thing we're going to do is start installing well field at the facility. The first well field we call production area seven is uh, fully permitted and licensed. And all we have to do is start installing all the wells and then piping it into the plant. Uh, so we're, we're starting that now. We're doing all the uh, basically clearing the brush to prepare the, uh, the staging areas and also clearing the first areas. We're going to start doing our development drilling and, and start casing wells. In addition, we'll also be bring the plant back up to operational conditions. Uh, keep in mind, it had been sitting idle for nearly 10 years. And so we need to do some work, you know, refurbish some pumps, uh, check lines, make sure there's no leaks, no rust and all that, and make sure all the instrumentation is working. So it's going to take a little bit of time on the plant, but I would say it's not at the scale of what we did at Rosita with respect to the amount of uh, work we have to do but it's still work that has to be done to get the plant up and running. But the main thing is get the well field done because you can have the plant ready to go, but without a well field, it sits idle. So the good thing is that production area seven at Alta Mesa has a substantial measured indicated resource that can easily pipe down to existing infrastructure, connect with the existing infrastructure to, to go through the plant. 
I'm really excited to be back at Alta Mesa because as has been well identified, I've been associated with that project for uh, quite some time. I, from the day we broke ground on it all the way till 2010 when I left to go work for Cameco. It's been a project that I've always known about, and uh, I believe it has been kind of not always remembered as its potential because it was always operated by a private company. But I think that for bringing it into Encore, it was a major lift for us to get that to happen, but it's going to pay off in the future and really good results, both from a resource basis, but also from a production basis too. Paul, that sounds great, and I'm uh, excited to see what happens next year with this, and I know the whole project, uh, the folks related to the project, your past experience with the project, all of this is coming together really well and really good hands. Uh, I think all parties are very happy with the hands that this is now in and with you leading things on the ground. It's going to be a nice setup moving forward here, and this will be one heck of a cornerstone foundation, if you will, for the company. Maybe just talk a little bit here and we'll move on about the exploration potential here. I think this is something that is kind of under highlighted, Paul. And as someone might say, give me X dollars and I'll show you X pounds that are real good economic pounds to come into the plant. But just talk about the exploration potential here, because my understanding is it has uh, quite a bit of potential. It does. And that's one of the reasons why it's always been on my radar as being a, an acquisition target. Because not only does it have near-term production and, and real near-term production, but proven results, it has this exploration potential. And I know we like to say we're not an exploration company because this isn't truly, isn't really Greenfield's exploration, it's more Brownfield at this point. It's that situation that, you know, we've got estimated just over 20 million pounds of measured indicated and inferred resources combined. The bulk of that is in inferred resources, and that's primarily on this area that's away from the uh, plant area. So it's, we call that uh, Mustena Grande, or there's various names we use for it, but it's all covered in our NI43101 report for the project. But the, the real thing is, is that there's 16 million pounds roughly in inferred resources. Most of that is on what we call the Mustena Grande area. Prior to 2006, there were zero pounds attributed to that. and, and the private company, Mustang Uranium, spent about $5 million and basically drilled up that 16 million pounds of inferred resources. And what we found at Alta Mesa is that because of the, it's such a large mineral property, uh, we aren't limited by property lines. We can follow the trends until either they leave the property, and that's allowed us to see things like a 52-mile-long set of stacked roll fronts in what's called the Oakville Sandstone, which as a as a known historic uranium producer, in fact, our Upper Spring Creek project, some 90 miles north of Alta Mesa project area, is in the same same target sand, and it's a known producer there too as well. We have that long-term potential there, and the beauty of it is I don't have to worry about going and, and leasing more land because all we need to do is begin to increase the density of drilling, not only to firm up the inferred resources to measure it or indicate it, or both. But also what we've seen is that with more drilling, we, we pick up additional inferred resources. So what gets exciting about it is that uh, once we start drilling into these exploration areas, that we'll start to see a firming of not only the quality of the resources, but also likely adding resources. Uh, a good reason for my stating that, and it's uh, just based on historic performance, uh, when I started Alta Mesa, developing Alta Mesa in 2005, when we broke ground on the plant, Equivalent to measured in is all historical resources at that time, but would have been equivalent in density for 
uh, measured and, and indicated resources, roughly 3.6 million pounds. Well, in that same area, after operating from 2006 through 2013, 4.9 million pounds were produced out of that area, which was originally assessed only have 3.6 million pounds in it. And that's because the reality is that once you find an ore body, there's going to be more ore bodies. The old saying is, best place to find oil is in the middle of an oil field. What we find is that uh, best place to find a uranium is right next to an existing uranium production area. So that's what we we were able to do. And I just believe there's a tremendous amount of more opportunity out there that uh, gets exciting when I think about the long-term potential operating life that uh, we get out of this project and this, this acquisition. Yeah, I'm excited to see this advance forward, Paul, and there's a lot of work that can be done out there. There's a lot of money that could be put into the ground, and quite frankly, some pretty dang good results could come out of this. So excited to see this go and excited to have you come back and wipe off just a little bit of dust that accumulated on Alta Mesa uh, just before you you know, left it before back over at Energy Fuels. So good on you for working on this, and I think it's a great transaction for all the parties that have been involved here, and uh, I know folks are really happy to see you back there. You guys just completed a NYSE Amex listing. Congratulations on that. And you also, on the back of that listing, took that opportunity to raise some capital. Talk about the listing importance, Paul, as well as your thoughts on the need for continued equity financings after the two immediate production centers come online and you're into cash flow. First of all, the NYSE Amex uh, listing is very important to us to get onto a senior exchange. There's several reasons why, but the, the main one I would say is that uh, is, is you get more institutional uh, buying from it by that listing. Uh, it's easier to get shareholders have an easier time acquiring shares, particularly in the U.S. I can use my experience uh, personally is that uh, while we were on the OTC, I had to uh, basically get my financial advisor to, to use an act of Congress almost to acquire shares on it. But now it's a no-brainer. The, uh, but it gives us much more liquidity, more, it gives shareholders more access to our stock, provides a better mechanism to take advantage of what we see as its next uranium cycle. And I'll say that we did successfully conclude uh, two financings, principally to acquire the Alta Mesa project and then have sustaining capital following that. Our current capital needs gets us into, gets Rosita into production and gets Alta Mesa into production as well in early 2024, heading towards a 1 million pound per year production rate at that point. As to whether we're you know, needing further financing, et cetera, I will tell you this is that we'll have sales coming off of Rosita to get cash flow. And obviously higher uranium prices will help us uh, obviate the need for uh, additional equity financing. And if we did need financing, we looked real hard at debt last time. We'll look at debt uh, again to see if the conditions are better than they are today. As you know, interest rates are pretty high. Also, one of the other things we, you know, I've learned in addition to uh, what we talked about with the with the NYC listing is that once we're in production, we basically change how we're viewed by the markets and everything else. So we see that as a key key timing factor for us to hit on all cylinders going forward. But like I said, right now we have the we, we have the capital raised to be able to put, continue to put Rosita into production, as well as get Alta Mesa up and into production at a million pound per year rate. Very well. Yeah, I think it's a timing thing. What transactions come down the pipeline over the next couple of years? What's the timing of how quickly you want to develop some of these pipeline projects? 
So there's a lot of factors that'll come into raising capital. Valuation, yeah. that's another one. So lots of different Absolutely. things here. So I completely get it. And the cash flow part's going to be very, very good for the business um, because so many juniors, if you will, just don't have that. And so very excited actually seeing that get done. And it's such a milestone in itself to get out of that capital consuming stage and get into this, hey, we're actually making profits here. So very good and appreciate the efforts on that. With respect to the Uranium Reserve Award, well done on that, by the way. Great pricing, great setup, uh, good little volume there as well. Do you think the company will respond again if the program is able to uh, seek new proposals, say, this year or in 2024? We definitely will consider responding. Obviously, everything will depend on our inventory capability and everything, where our inventories are. But definitely, if there's a similar opportunity, we'll definitely look into it. And everything depends on the structure of the contract. Say whether you're dealing with spot sales or anything else on a normal basis, you're dealing with a, a broad market. Uh, when it comes to the U.S. government buying, just because of the restrictions on where they can source it and, and whether it has to be uh, unobligated to for peaceful uses, et cetera, sets that purchasing aside from the rest of the general market and really narrows the focus down on who the eligible sellers are. And so, obviously, we were able to leverage that, that contracting structure to, to leverage into a higher sales price for what we were providing. And we feel really good about the results we had. And, and uh, if there's another opportunity, we're definitely going to make a run. Hopefully, not everybody else will copy our success. We'll be able to be the, be the, the ones that uh, receive the highest price again. Even though we didn't get the largest award, I'm very happy with what we got. Yeah, great. And hopefully they tweak the solicitation documents a bit there and make it based on actual new production and some other features that we'd like to see eventually come into this, Paul. Yeah. How about uh, Rosita here? A big focus. A lot of work's been completed so far. Well, last year and also this year now. Give us a rough update on Rosita Restart work and also just a rough schedule that you see at this point towards commercial production. I'll answer the last question first, and I'll tell you how we're going to get there. So the on the last question, we, we're, we're targeting for a third quarter 2023 startup. And that could be the early part of the third quarter. And so timing is everything, but also there's a few milestones we have to accomplish, which we're well on the way to completing already. The first one being is the construction of the satellite ion exchange plant. We expect to start, we've just completed the engineering design on the pad and we'll start installing the pad sometime next month. It is February 27th today for the record. So sometime in early March, we'll start breaking ground to place the pad and then start putting the vessels on it relatively quick. That's a two to three month process. The other thing is wrapping up the wellfield installation. Uh, we have 20 more days worth of drilling and, and well completions to do. I think that's actually down to probably closer to, to 16 days uh, as of this week. So we'll get that wrapped up. They've already started putting in the electrical infrastructure into the well field. Uh, so we expect all the electrical infrastructure to get done by early April and then start laying in the pipeline. So conceivably, uh, we'll have everything put in place by mid-year. And we do have some, a couple of, you know, one uh, state a review that has to be done. It's, it's part of the existing permit. It's just we did an amendment to add uh, add mo some monitor wells to the uh, to the production area, which we, is a minor amendment, and we expect to get that all done well and well before the the mid midpoint of this year. 
but everything is pointing towards that uh, mid-year time frame, third quarter, mid-year. Very well. Appreciate the update on that and keep up the good work there. Let's move to Dewey Burdock for a moment, Paul. How about uh, an update on where we are here, final permitting, state permitting? Uh, just give us a, a bit of a pathway here. I know there's some, some question marks, but give us a bit of pathway here on where Dewey Burdock is and where you see this sliding in. Yeah, well, we still we, we still have it in our target to start development and putting into production, hopefully, and by 2025. Of course, it's all contingent on the current uh, permitting process. Uh, just so we're clear with our with your listeners is that uh, we have our nuclear regulatory source material license. We have our EPA permits in place. They are being challenged. So the current challenge is against the NRC license, which is the primary lead agency for the uh, environmental impact statement. And that's been carried all the way through the D.C. Court of Appeals. Uh, principally on on travel consultation grounds, and basically the court refused to hear it. Not only did they turn it away on a three-judge panel, they refused to hear it on on bank review, which means the entire D.C. Circuit panel. Uh, the interveners have the opportunity to appeal to the Supreme Court. There's a whole process that's got a different name than just an appeal, but uh, I'm not a lawyer, so they have roughly, I think, another 45 days uh, to make their provide their argument why the Supreme Court should hear it. The keep in mind is that every case that gets moved beyond the courts, uh, the the, the Court of Appeals process to the Supreme Court, less than 1% of them actually make it to where the court will hear it. It's gotta be something major and significant and something new. Well, back uh, in 2012, the the, uh, court already ruled on similar contentions on another uh, uranium case out of New Mexico and one of the court justices was a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court, Judge Gorsuch, and the other one of the other justices, uh, the newest justice on the Supreme Court, was also one of the judges on the three-judge panel at the D.C. Circuit that ruled against the interveners. So we think the gods are, are pretty solid that the court's not going to pick it up. And what does that mean? What's the next step? Well, that means the EPA process starts because it's all been held in advance until the NRC process is is, uh, done, and there's a very good reason for that, is that when the EPA did their environmental impact statement, they tiered it off of the NRC EIS process. So they were not the lead agency. The NRC was the lead agency, and they relied on the NRC's environmental work and their tribal consultations and everything to make their decisions for their process. And just so if we're worried about politics, all the EPA decisions were done during President Obama's term. So the process will start there. There's an environmental appeals board and an Eighth Circuit uh, court on the aquifer exemption that has to go through, but we expect to prevail uh, as we've prevailed everywhere else. And we still have a couple of state permits to do. And the, the reality is the state of South Dakota got burned pretty hard by the Keystone XL pipeline and the arbitrary ways the federal government canceled that pipeline. And so what they've asked us to do is is hold off from advancing the permit until after the federal process is done. We still expect that to be done in the next 18 to 24 months. I feel confident that we'll have a lot of certainty well before that end of that period. In the meantime, we're we're starting to do some engineering work, uh, pre-planning, if we get the decision to be able to move forward, we don't want to be waiting to make decisions to go to start development. 
We want to be able to put something together so we have a plan to start with, uh, something much more detailed than, say, the PEA we have right now, but at least to allow us to start the engineering, get the engineering work done now before we start considering breaking ground on anything. Yeah, it'd be great to see in this particular case with the federal approvals going in the right direction. It'd be nice to see just the state will, will piggyback on the federal approvals at this point. Probably no reason not to expect that. Sounds good. I appreciate the update on that. And yeah, what a process and patience required. And of course, the, the work on the legal side. Good to see this move along. And maybe the timing works out really well to where we have already two production centers doing excellent work uh, to help cash flow this next pipeline piece. Uh, with that, speaking of pipeline, how do you see the Gas Hills project fitting into this, Paul? Do you think it's something that can be fast-tracked to be ahead of Dewey, or maybe it's in parallel to Dewey? Uh, talk a little bit about Gas Hills. So right now, we're doing it in parallel to Dewey. I won't mince words that it's not permitted to the level Dewey is. The difference between Gas Hills and Dewey Burdock is that currently it is not being challenged and so we've got a pretty straightforward pathway with the state of wyoming we do have to do an eis on it for the because a significant portion of the property is on federal surface and so we have to follow the blm process on that but uh, the one thing that works in our favor is that uh, literally on the fence line on the east and, and south fence line of uh, our property is cameco's gas hills project who went through a full-blown eis back in 2011 12 and 13 and had a, a really solid finding of no significant impact. And so I think that uh, although we may have to do a EIS, we're gonna be able to tier and use the information, drove the, uh, the Cameco one uh, to support our permitting work. So we're doing the groundwork, we're getting uh, contracts now for uh, con wildlife consultants and, and getting out there and taking soil samples. We have to do that for a minimum of a year before we can submit anything for uh, consideration by the state of Wyoming. So we're starting to do that work right now. And we want, we intend to do a little bit of drilling out there in the gas hills to get some confirmation cores on to test for leachability and recovery to verify and validate through the PEA. It's looking pretty exciting and we're, we're starting to work on it. And there's a whole lot of balls in the air, but I got a lot of very good people leading these uh, these various different initiatives within our team. This is a good project to have here and be working on in great state and be great to see you guys get into Wyoming. Just remind me, was the, there was an existing PEA on the project, so technically it wouldn't necessarily be PFS stage. So you guys are going to redo the PEA, Paul, before you move to PFS or, or what's kind of the thinking there? Haven't thought that far in advance at all right okay. now andrew it's uh we definitely want you know we'll, we'll right now we haven't seen a need to update the pea at gas hills because it's relatively new it may not have caught a lot of the inflation factors but at least from a uh economics and you know from a using it to to build out a uh, you know our plan it, it's still there it's still considered reasonably valid we would like okay. to go back and look at the dewey burdock pea and redo it under current cost conditions it's still going to look very good, but it makes it easier to align with our South Texas operations. So when people are considering Dewey Burdock and South Texas are seeing, and maybe some of our competition, uh, they're getting more of an apples to apples uh, consideration rather than two different, basically snapshots in time uh, that may or may not be valid in the current economic environment. I would right. say that my expectations where the market goes is that um, 
all the PEA is going to hold up the test, even if we do go put in higher cost, uh, because the, the market's changed and we're seeing that uh, we're confident that uh, we're going to see better price environments uh, for uranium, which is going to really help us being able to finance these projects through cash flow. Absolutely. I think that will hold up really well in the market conditions. will definitely give us that. I think it's just a question of when here, not if. Um, and then also, yeah, the confidence level in these projects, certainly Gas Hills, you know, could go to feasibility or pre-feasibility stage here. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds good to continue to progress these and show the market what these can still do, even in the light of higher costs. Some of those won't change and they won't go down, as you know, but this market conditions with respect to the uranium price and where we are there, very conducive to uh, some pretty good economic results is my suspicion. Another topic that came out here, recent news, uh, another term deal that was announced. Uh, talk about the current contracting book and I'll just highlight this deal. Thanks. And so it's, uh, we have four uh, offtake agreements, one with a trading company and three with utilities. So this would be our third utility one. Uh, as far as the, the size of it, you know, I think in the press release it says 650,000 pounds of uh, U308 over a period of uh, four years, market-based pricing with price collars. Now, I can't go into details as to the, the level of those price collars, but I can tell you that the floor is very close to where we're, the spot market is today, and the ceiling is well, well, well above today's spot market. I feel confident these are going to be contracts that are going to be good for our shareholders and for the operations going forward. I think it, what it shows is that, well, I'll tell you a little sense of it. So uh, if you go back and look at the price of uranium, back when we announced our first uh, contract, I think we're still in the low 30s or maybe mid 30s. The second contract comes through, uh, I'm talking about the utility contracts. The, the trading company one, which was through UG uh, Runga Shellshaft USA, is a legacy that came over from when we acquired the Westwater assets. So that was kind of one off type of contract as an offtake agreement. But the utility ones, if you were to know the details of our of our market related and the, the price collars, you'll see they've been advancing almost every time up to be more consistent where the current market conditions are. So what we're seeing is a strengthening. The other thing that I'm very confident about is that we're going to see more utility contracting come into play soon. Uh, what is holding up the timing of that is what happens with Russia and what happens with the Russian supply that's elephant in the room when it comes to making those type of assessments. Because frankly, the Russians can, you know, the, there was a letter that the uh, Commerce Department put out uh, several years back that talked about the, the Russians con uh, conducting price suppression. And that price suppression is what is a concern for me, but also is a concern for the utilities. But I think if the U.S. government continues moving as we are with some of the, the legislation that's uh, being proposed, if they can get the funding to build out domestic enrichment, uh, nuclear fuel supply chain that's, that's more robust than what we have right now. I think that uh, you'll see more and more utility buying from people like us, uh, rather than relying on the Russians or the, or the Kazakhs to supply, simply because we have a, uh, our, you can't beat our secure supply line, which is North America. Absolutely good points. You guys are building a nice book that I think any clients that come along will have to seriously consider what you guys are offering. So it's it's really coming together really nicely and a contract book that's well-constructed, well-thought-out, and with you as the leader on that side, allocating the production profile as it comes along here. 
and of course leaving that upside because you've actually done the work with respect to uranium and you actually have a really good idea among some CEOs out there that have no clue where this market is going to head in terms of incentive pricing for the global incentive price, if you look at that, and then also what dynamics could bring that price even higher. And so I think it's a great book that's coming together here and appreciate the, the hard work on that. Just a few other things here, let's, then let's wrap up. Uh, there is a new company that the Encore team has helped work along to bring to the market uh, by, by placing and, and selling some assets into uh, this new company. It's called Nuclear Fuels Incorporated. Talk about the importance of this company and also the exploration arm, if you will, of Encore and, and how it really fits into the strategy for Encore. First of all, it's an opportunity to be able to get us to, to allow us to monetize some of our non-core assets, and that, that'd be, you know, we as we stated, uh, some properties in Arizona as well as in Wyoming we've acquired. Uh, as you would expect, uh, with a company like ours brought together through M and A, and also uh, the, the way uh, Encore was holdings were prior to 2020 when we acquired brought in the Westwater assets. Uh, we have uh, quite a few properties that may or may not fit our strategy of U.S.-based in situ recovery production. So we have to look at how we're going to be able to do it. Some may be on small deposits, some may have large potential historical resources that need to be drilled out. And how do you manage that and balance it with, with the time? So there's, there's a couple of ways we could do it. We could find a, a willing buyer to go buy them off us, or we could come up with structure work to support a structure that would be able to allow us, Encore as a company, to be able to leverage the, the various uh, strengths either company has. So in the case of Nuclear Fuels, Inc., we're, we're selling them properties that we've acquired to have, have known and substantial historical mineral resources that need to be drilled out. It's going to be a almost a greenfield exploration program, lots of uh, sheep pasture to go through, do we spend our time doing that or does somebody else do that uh, on our behalf? What we've done is we've sold these properties. We uh, get a piece of the company, I think something south of uh, 20%, uh, and we get a couple of board seats on it. So we get the ability to drive some of the strategy behind it. But it can go out and raise money and develop these properties uh, into mineral assets. And if they do get to a point where they're ready to be turned into a, a production project, we retain the right to claw back 51% of the ownership of that project. Obviously, we have to pay to, to claw it back, but there's a structure to claw it back. And uh, that allows us to leverage off of any success that Nuclear Fuels, Inc. has in developing. It's a good strategy. It, right now, the, the ability to get value for non-core assets is somewhat, you know, depending on who's doing the buying and everything. but. You know, it's not like it was back in the last run-up in the early 2000s or mid-2000s when there were four or 500 companies with uranium in their name on the venture exchange. Uh, we still haven't gotten to that point. Where there's, and so we want to make sure that we monetize our value, even from our non-core properties, to protect our shareholder value. And we see this as one mechanism to do that. That's right on. This is nothing new, really. Let's see, Deep Yellow is the one that was uh, spun out as an exploration arm of Paladin. ISO Energy is another one more recently coming out of NextGen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the right way, I think, to go about it. And again, if the market is not going to necessarily yield some of the pricing you want for some of these assets, which you guys see internally as being much more valuable than the buyer maybe doesn't see that, 
I think it's a great way to go about this. So I appreciate you just highlighting that briefly. Paul, as CEO, Encore, the team there, Bill, bringing you on a number of years back, a lot of progress has been made. How pleased are you with the progress? Are you enjoying the work there? And just give the audience some color on what key milestones that you see are left to come. If the audience has been following our activities, you'll wonder if I've had any time to sit back and enjoy what we're, the successes we've seen. <laughs> it's been a uh, it's been a whirlwind. It's been exciting. It's been fun. We've had a lot of things hit the hit the ground all at once. Uh, successes, all of them. Couldn't have done it without our you know Bill is a he's a big piece of this, and then we've got a good strong board who keeps us uh, uh, in line and, and going the right direction. But I couldn't have done, couldn't be where we're at now also if we didn't have a good solid technical team. And I've been working hard to find experienced veterans that, particularly ones that are experienced with our projects, to bring them in and uh, come work for us. And I've been able, successfully able to find them through old contacts and everything else. And we continue to locate people that are key experienced people because, uh, and I'm looking for even younger people now because they're going to be the folks that succeed me and my senior team to run this company to the future. With the success we're doing, we're just not sitting back on our hands. We're going to go into production, but we're going to expand our production, but also we're going to be expanding our talent pool at the same time to be able to make this all sustainable. I can tell you there'll be a point where I won't be able to keep up with everything going on every day. Right now, it's already uh, a pretty uh, challenging day-to-day uh, -day exercise, but as we get bigger and we start doing more, it's going to be, we'll need a good solid team. That's what I'm really proud of building so far. And I expect to continue expanding the strength, the bench strength that we have. It's quite a juggle. Definitely find some time for yourself and, and take it easy and recoup and get a little bit of rest. Uh, because uh, certainly if, if there's a person out there that deserves it, it definitely is you. I can think of a number of other CEOs in this sector that don't deserve it. <laughs> but uh, that's for another conversation. Well, Paul, let's leave it there for now. For potential investors who are listening in, the company has a market capitalization of about $276 million U.S. dollars at this stage in the market and at this point in the Encore progress. Why should investors consider the company now? We're still on the early phases. I mean, uh, you know, if one were to use a baseball analogy, we're still in the, we still haven't gone out of the third inning yet, and we still got a lot of baseball to play. And I think there's a lot of opportunities going ahead. I, I think that all the, the, the pieces, the, the long-term value that you're going to see coming out of the uranium side is going to be, is, it's going to be real. Uh, I know that we've seen kind of the doldrums around $50 a pound, but I can tell you two years ago, we would have been, screaming and joy, at joy uh, to hear 50 over the $30 a pound we were looking at back then. So the, uh, I, I think that uh, we're, we're seeing continuing expanding market expectations coming out of the market, but it doesn't uh, change the thesis is that we're still in a demand driven, we're going to be very much in a demand driven market, uh, whether it's through existing fleets, power up rates, which we're already seeing as a result of government policies, longer term uh, operations of nuclear power plants, uh, restarts of plants in Japan, uh, new plants being built in uh, China and Asia and India, within China, India, and all over Asia, that is. It's hard not to see that uh, the demand is going to continue to increase. 
And we keep hearing every day coming out of different utilities in the United States about adding these small modular reactors to be able to, to supplement their uh, and replace their coal generation fossil fuel lease displace quite a bit of it. They're announcing it publicly. So that's increased demand. Got to get the uranium from somewhere. And again, like I said earlier, there's no better, no secure supply line than North America. The U.S. and Texas are a great place to start. Well said, Paul. I appreciate that. And what's the best way for investors and others to reach out to the company? On our website at www.encoreuranium.com. Email address is info at encoreuranium.com. Our general phone number to our office, 361-239-5449. And we'll do our best to get back to you as soon as possible. Paul, I appreciate it. Thank you for the time today, sir. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. Goodbye.